Well, good morning. It is good to have you with us today. And I hope that you're not too full after all the turkey and roast potatoes and Christmas puds and mince pies and trifle and everything else that you eat on Christmas Day. Uh, and I just hope that you had a great day enjoying the company of others and hopefully enjoying the presence of God with you too. As we remember what Christmas is all about, the birth of Christ amongst us. And today we're continuing our series of sermons uh, that uh, we've called At the Heart of Christmas. And at the heart of Christmas is Jesus. And each week we have looked at some aspect of Jesus and who he is. And today we're thinking about Jesus the King. And there's no better story to look at that expresses that idea than the arrival of the Magi to see the baby Jesus. There's absolutely nothing that we know about these guys apart from they came from the East. We don't know how many there were. We know they came with three gifts, but that doesn't mean that there were three of them. There could have been two. Uh, Magi was certainly plural, so there could have been two. There could have been 20. Who knows? Who cares? It doesn't matter. What we know about Magi is that they were well-educated people who were really interested in some of the kind of mysteries of life. And as they'd studied and researched, and they'd have probably been quite wealthy people, they'd have come across texts from ancient Jewish uh, texts saying or prophesying the arrival of a king. A king who's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they take off, and we don't know how long that journey took. It could have been a long journey. And they arrive in Jerusalem, and they go and see King Herod. And they say, King Herod, where is the king of the Jews? Where is he? Because they expected Jesus to be at the palace. And of course, Herod knew nothing about this. And so he sends them to search. And the, as we know the story, they followed a star to where Jesus was. And they went and they worshipped him. It's a wonderful story. It's, it's part of the Christmas story that has a lot of mystery and magic to it. But there's some things I want to draw out of this passage that remind us about who Jesus is and what he is as a king and what that kingship is like. And the first thing I want to draw out is that his kingship is hidden. The Magi arrive and say, where is this king? And no one knew that he'd arrived. He didn't arrive with great pomp and circumstance. He arrived in a stable or probably more like a cave, to a young woman called Mary and to a carpenter called Joseph. That's not how kings arrive. The Magi expected them to be born of a king. They expected them to be in a palace. They expected to have an entourage around him, caring for every need, and all Jesus had was a manger. And his kingship is always hidden. It's there in plain view, but it's hidden. A bit like his kingdom now. His kingdom, Jesus describes, often as small as a mustard seed and yet still has this incredible impact. You only start to see the kingdom of God. You only start to see his reign over people's lives when you go searching for it, when you look for it. His kingdom is always hidden in plain sight. 
And the wonderful thing about these Magi, even though they, they probably studied all sorts of religions, they came to worship this one Jewish baby called Jesus, who they expected to be, in some way, the saviour of the world. And so his kingship is hidden. The second thing is that his kingship is for all people. Time and time again we have heard this. The angels declare good news of great joy for all people. And here we have Gentiles traveling a great distance to come and see this baby. This whole Christmas story is all about different types of people all having Jesus revealed to them. Whether that is Mary and Joseph, this young couple who are trying to make their way in life, who by an incredible miracle she becomes pregnant and they are afraid of how people will see this. Whether it's the shepherds who were the, the kind of the least of the least within the, within the kind of kingdom, within their area, who'd been despised, who would have been looked down upon by others. It was they who had the great revelation of the angels and then went to see the baby just after he'd been born. We have two prophets in the temple, Simeon and Anna, perhaps not ever noticed by anyone, who were there waiting for the Messiah to come and saw as Mary walked in with Jesus, that here he is. And how we, now we have this group of Magi arriving from the east, Gentiles, not even Jews, coming to see the baby Jesus. The whole Christmas story keeps emphasising that his kingship is not just for the Jewish nation. His kingship is for the whole world. He wants to be the king of your life. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how you've felt about yourself. He looks at you and he sees someone who says, he is someone who is worthy to be my child, someone worthy to be my subject, someone who I want to be involved in a life with. This is a king for everyone. And the question is today, is he your king? The next thing we see is that his kingship is troubling and disturbing. It says about Herod that when he heard about this news of a, a new king being born, it says when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Who is this king? What will he do? How will he arrive? What, what, what kind of demands will he place upon us? And the fact is that the kingship of Jesus is still disturbing for people. Because Jesus doesn't want to be involved in your life from a distance. He wants to be involved at the very centre of your life. And he wants to make decisions about your life. He wants you to be obedient to him. To in some way be submissive to him. And for every single one of us, that should be disturbing. Because the fact is we are all sinners. We are all incredibly selfish people. We don't want anyone else to be on the throne of our lives. We are on the throne of our lives and we like it that way. And Jesus comes to disturb that status quo. To shake us up and say, no, look at the mess you've made of your life. Isn't it time that you allowed me to take control? 
He wants to be a king who truly makes decisions about you and your life and your future. About the purpose of your life. About who you connect with. He wants to make decisions about what you're going to do next week, the month after and next year. But he can only do that if you choose to let him. And the fact is that there are many Christians who will sit in church or online this Sunday who will say that Jesus is their saviour but he is not yet their king because they have chosen to make their own decisions about their own life because it is too disturbing to make him king. We don't want our lives turned upside down. We don't want our lives kind of taken in a different direction. We have our own ideas and dreams about what life should be like and we want to live them out or we want to live a life of comfort and ease. And sometimes when Jesus comes in, he throws all that up in the air and says, let's do something more important instead. The reason why we don't often make Jesus our king is because we simply like our life the way it is and are not prepared to entrust our whole life to Jesus, who is the King. The next thing we see here is that his kingship is a kingship of humility. When the Magi arrived, what did they see? Carpenter, a young, a young woman, a very young woman, and a baby. We don't know if they arrived while Jesus and Mary were still in that cave. We don't know whether it was maybe some months afterwards even. But they would have found a family who were just like every other family, who weren't living with wealth, who weren't living with an entourage of slaves and servants, who weren't in some palace somewhere. They were just Ordinary people, at least that's how they looked. See, when Jesus took on our flesh, he became one of us, he became one with us. And he lived a life just like we do, except his life was a life without sin, a life with purpose because he was looking to the cross. It's that great day when he would bring about our salvation through his death and his resurrection. But all through his life, he never lived the life of a king. He lived for the first 30 years approximately of his life as just an ordinary person, an ordinary guy, probably learning carpentry just like his dad. And then his ministry starts and he lives this life of a travelling rabbi. He fully took on our life. He laid down his, as God his power and his authority. He laid down his majesty and his glory and he became one of us. See, the antidote to us being troubled by his kingship is to recognise that he came as a humble king, as a king who came to serve, 
as a king who came to lay down his life for you and for me, as a king who comes to seek our best, a king who comes to bring life and goodness and grace and mercy into our lives. The problem that most of us have when we think about the kingship of Jesus is that when we think about him being king and ruling in our life, that we're afraid he's going to make our life worse than it already is. And for some of you, that's almost impossible because your lives couldn't get any worse. We need to see just how good Jesus is and just how much he loves us and realise that when we give him our lives, he will bring about the best possible life for us. His promise was that we would have life and life in all its fullness. And that can only happen if you submit to him as king. I love the fact, and this is the final point, that at the end, these Magi who would probably be, they've been in the presence of kings maybe all over the known world. They would have probably already been wealthy and you can see that by the gifts that they give him. They come before Jesus. They give their gifts and they lay down prostrate before him. They give him their lives. That's what worship is. We've said this a number of times over the past weeks, that worship isn't the singing of a song or a praying of a prayer. It is the laying down of our life before Jesus and saying, my life is your life. Live it through me. That is the challenge that we have as Jesus is king. And I want to encourage you today, in this season of all seasons, which in this season, let's face it, we all focus on kind of gifts and presents and stuff. We stuff ourselves full of food and drink. We focus almost entirely on ourselves to the neglect of Jesus the King. And today, on this Boxing Day, I want to encourage you to just put that to one side for a moment and say, that's all good stuff. And it is good stuff. We all love it. There's nothing wrong with it. But the central message of Christmas is that the King has come and we are to lay down our lives before him and make him the King of our lives. And that is true if you are not yet a Christian or if you've been a Christian for 50 years. That same challenge is there for each and every one of us because we will all find it equally disturbing and troubling. We'll all have some difficulty with it because we all, in some way, still live selfish, sinful lives. So today, will you give your whole life to Jesus, not for your salvation, but simply to make him your king as well as your saviour. The two go hand in hand. It's really hard to have one without the other. You will only fully understand your salvation 
if you make him your king. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that when Jesus came, he came to be our saviour. He came to be our friend and our brother. He came, Lord, to be our king. Help us to lay down our reservations, our concerns, our selfishness, our own desires, so that we can truly put him on the throne of our lives. Lord, so often we put ourselves on the throne and it never works out well. And we're sorry for that, Lord. So we ask you, come and be our king. In Jesus' name.